Well, good evening. Welcome. I know we have folks coming in. Just This is very casual, so just come on in and find a seat. Uh, don't be ashamed to just ask somebody to let you scooch over into the middle. Uh, I just want to tell you the softer chairs are in the middle and they're better for sleeping. Anyway, <laughs> we designed it that way on purpose here. Seriously, I'm glad you're here with us uh, back at Crossings. This feels like we've been off for several weeks, so it's really good to see everybody back. Let me say a prayer for us, and then we're going to dive into this exciting series. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we have the freedom in our country to come together, to gather, to speak about your word, to apply it to our lives and the events in this world. We know that not every believer around this world has that freedom, and we don't take it for granted. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your son. Pray that you would help to shape our minds and renew us so that as we look at this world, we are agents of healing, agents of grace and love, and that we are wise to discern these times. So we pray for your wisdom and your guidance in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you've been here before, you know that our routine is that if you will text your questions during this lesson to that number, we try to answer questions, try to answer as many as we can in time permitting. So there's the number. I believe it's also on your handout, so you don't have to scribble that down. But if you have questions while we're talking, text those in, and we'll see if we can answer them. It's, it's good to know what's on your mind, what I'm not addressing very clearly, or just what avenue of interest you have. We're going to talk about Jesus, Muhammad, and Darwin. These are, uh, we're actually going to talk about the religions, the belief systems that are shaping our world and our lives. We've had a lot of requests to talk about this topic, so we're going to take several weeks and we're going to dive into the different world religions. We're going to talk about some of the distinctive beliefs. We're going to talk about global political interactions. We're also going to talk about really down-to-earth how do we as Christians interact in a world that has so many religions and the forces that are shaping us. I think it's important because it's not just a global issue. As you'll see, every one of these lessons, we want to bring these things back to where we live, literally, back to our nation, back to our lives, and see how does this impact our faith. When I talk about religions, I want to broaden that word just a little bit more than you're probably used to. When I talk about a religion, I want to talk about something, a way of ordering your world, a way of making sense out of life. And that means a religion is a set of beliefs that tries to answer some really crucial questions. The questions of origins, for example. Where did all of this come from? The question of humanity, the nature of humanity. And for example, where did we come from? And why are we here? The question of purpose, kind of the meaning and purpose of life. Religions try to answer those questions. Religions basically answer and divide the world into the idea of good and evil. If you're going to be able to discern conduct, behavior, actions, it takes a belief system with a sense of where we came from, where we're going, what is our nature as human beings? Are we inherently good? Are we inherently bad? Is it okay to do these certain actions or not? In other words, a religion tries to distinguish between good and evil and the meaning of life. In fact, I really agree with uh, Ross Douthat. He's uh, an uh, editorial writer for New York Times. He's a good thinker. He made this observation. He said, at the deepest level, every human culture is religious. 
It is defined by what its inhabitants believe about some ultimate reality and what they think that reality demands of them. And I agree with that. I think every culture is religious because every culture wants to figure out where did I come from, where am I going, what is the meaning of life, and what's good, what's evil? How then should we live? Sometimes we think of religions as uh, basically belief systems with gods, but if you stop and think about it, that's not even the case amongst the things we typically think of as religions. For example, Jews and Muslims worship one god. Hindus worship many gods. Buddhists don't actually have a personal God in the sense that we understand it. So the idea of a God is not really the central idea of a religion. The idea of a religion is more, how am I gonna make sense out of life and its meaning, and how then should I live? And so belief systems that encompass all those things, we're gonna consider and talk about those things as religions. The first thing I wanna do is take you way back in history because through this entire series, as we look at our world and the world religions, I don't want us to look at it with uh, what C.S. Lewis calls a sense of chronological snobbery, meaning no one's ever faced these situations before we're facing them. The truth is, this has been around, this situation has been around a long time. And I wanna take you back into biblical times all the way back to the time of Israel in the Judges, around, call it 1400 BC. In 1400 BC, I'm gonna make a couple of notes on this for you. You have the Philistines to the west. You have the Ammonites, the Moabites. There's a nation called Edom down here in the south, and Egypt. As I write on this, I wanna show you Syria in the north. Basically, all of the nations literally surrounding Israel have competing gods. You see a picture of Baal and uh, Ashtaroth or Ashtarte on the side there, Chemosh, Molech, Dagon, all the various gods of the Egyptians. In other words, Israel was a nation with a god amongst nations and many other gods. Our situation as Christians in the world, or even more specifically as American Christians in the world, is not new. We worship a God in the midst of a world with many gods. And there's gonna be a lot of lessons that we're gonna take from Israel in that time frame. And I'd just like to highlight a couple of things here before we get into the specific things later in the series. But first of all, there's intention with God placing Israel there. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but think about this. Israel is in, right in the middle of an area with all of their neighbors then, all of their neighbors now. Worship a different God. In fact, they worship a God that's hostile to Israel. They're the only place over there that has no oil. And so if I'm there, I'm saying to God, God, you know, back in 1400 BC, when you planted us here, there was nothing going on in Canada. I mean, could we not have you know, been the chosen people in Canada and maybe had a little friendlier environment? Well, the answer is no, because God has a purpose in that. And if God had a purpose for Israel then, a God amongst the nations, I'm gonna suggest to you, and I hope that we'll see as we go through this series, God has a purpose for us now, lifting up our God amongst the nations as well. Well, 
in the Jesus and Muhammad, that's probably pretty self-explanatory. And we're going to get into Islam. We're going to get into Hinduism. We're going to get into some of the world religions and see how they interact. But you're probably wondering a little bit about the Darwin part of this story. And so I'd like to kind of take us from 1400 BC where you see that world of many gods and I want to bring us up to more modern day times and I want to tell you a little story about how we get to where we are right now. And Darwin figures into that because if you think about it, for most of the history of our country, we basically uh, have had a, a Christian nation. I mean, in the sense that the majority of people in America were Christian, were founded on Judeo-Christian principles, uh, maybe more than that, but at least on Judeo-Christian principles. Even today, a majority of people in America at least identify as Christian. Nevertheless, you and I both know that the religious landscape has changed. It's changed radically in Europe and you see us on that same track. So I'd like to go back and capture just a little bit of our history to bring us up to how our God is a God amongst the nation of gods here. We need to go back to a guy named Charles Darwin. We can go back further than this, but let's just start with Darwin because he's gonna be the poster child for an up and coming religion in the world. And I'll tell you how big this religion's getting in a little bit. Darwin is famous for, obviously, what we now call the theory of evolution. He said, basically, man is descended from a hairy-tailed quadruped, probably arboreal in its habits. Now, half of you will agree with that statement, all the women. Yes, men are descended from hairy-tailed <laughs> quadrupeds and haven't changed much, you know, since that time. But half of you will say, I don't, not me. But seriously, Darwin came on the stage and he basically took the ideas from the Enlightenment meaning man's reason can figure out the world. And so what he did that was so groundbreaking is he began to look at some of these religious questions, the questions of origin. How did we get here in our current form? And that has implications for what is the nature of humanity? What is our purpose in the world? Well, Darwin came to answer that question through observation through scientific means, and I don't mean when I say scientific that he proved everything that he was saying. In fact, he proved very little of what he was suggesting, and that's okay, that's reasonable science, that's why it's called a theory and not proven fact, but he basically set up a framework that explained how you and I got here from lower forms of life. Now there's no doubt that some of the elements of the theory of evolution appear to be very well documented certain aspects. Other aspects remain very theoretical and some conjectural as well. But his work began to spur people to use that to answer the questions of, of the religious questions of life, of origin, of meaning, of good and evil in a different way. A bunch of people after him began to use his work and they began to build on it. So what I call Darwinism is not what Charles Darwin originally started out with. What comes to us as Darwinism, and this picture will unfold here in a few minutes, is what people have built on his work and built into an edifice that essentially is religious in nature. It has a great deal of faith involved in it. One of the early people, and still most influential, by the way, is a guy named Friedrich Nietzsche. 
Frederick Nietzsche lived, as you can see, right around the end of the 19th century. He's famous for coining this phrase, famous for a lot of things. He said, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. He wrote a work called Beyond Good and Evil. He wrote a lot of things, but Beyond Good and Evil. And so what Nietzsche is doing is he said, you know what? We don't have to look to God. We don't have to look to any religion for an answer of how we got here and who we are and what our purpose is. He begins to answer the religious questions. What's good? What's evil? How should we live? What's our nature? Do we matter? Do we have a purpose? He began to build on Darwin's work to answer those questions and starts to build an edifice that really is religious in that it's answering those really existential questions about life. So Frederick Nietzsche began to build that. Frederick Nietzsche, you don't know much about him today. He is the father of postmodernism. Postmodernism is the predominant secular, and when I say secular, I'll, let me restrict it to non-biblical, non-Christian. Secular worldview is very postmodern, very much buys into his answers to some of those fundamental questions. So Frederick Nietzsche began to build on that work and he redefined what good and evil are. And you would, you would not like what he said good and evil were. For example, he said all life is the will to power. And so what's right, what's wrong, it's whatever you can seize for yourself. Kind of a might makes right, but he even went beyond that. He coined the term, the ubermensch, the superman, someone who was beyond the morality and the good and evil of mere mortals. Well, there were people like Frederick Nietzsche building on this work of Darwin. Again, not what Darwin necessarily said, but building on those ideas. And you begin to see an edifice come up of a different way to live, a different way to answer those questions about life. And it began to impact all of the Western world. Let me take you to one other current thinker. And so you get to see the rise of atheism, meaning a belief in answering those key questions of life without any reference to a supernatural revelation, whether it would be the Hindu Vedas, their holy books, or it would be the words of the Buddha for Buddhism, or whether it would be Muhammad and his revelations that he spoke from God, or if it would be the Jewish God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, you don't need revelation to understand those key questions of where do we come from, where are we going, what is the meaning of life, what is good and evil. And so atheists began to build up a logical, full-bodied way of looking at life. It begins to take on all the aspects of a religion. Richard Dawkins, famous for saying a lot of things, but here's one that really captures this idea. He said, although atheism might have been logically tenable before Darwin, meaning maybe you could be an atheist, but it was really hard to answer those key questions about life. He said, but Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. I'm gonna translate that and tell you what I understand him to be saying. He said, now that Darwin has given us a theory, but basically answers to how we might have gotten here. He said, now we have a full life view. Let me tell you what you have. You have a religion. You have a system that explains life which requires faith. For example, two of the key tenets of Darwinism are basically that 
Everything that happened to get you here was the result of random mutations. In other words, random things happen. You weren't planned, you were not designed, nothing you see is designed, it's all random. And then secondly, natural selection. In other words, a process that was natural, not guided, nothing, nobody's interfering with it, got you here. Now, a little piece of that appears to be demonstrably true. But you put those two things together and the question becomes, can you prove that? And the answer is no, you cannot prove that. But if you are like Richard Dawkins, an atheist, you take that as a matter of faith. That is your creation story. It is your story of the meaning of humanity. And so in the Western world, and particularly in America, you see this idea of Darwinism coming up and it ends up being a full-bodied explanation. It's not only religious in nature, a faith and a belief system that tries to be sufficient to explain your life and how you should live and what you should do. There are evolutionary psychologists who will tell you why you do what you do and why you should do it differently. And there are evolutionary, you read it in the papers all the time, well, why do people behave this way? Well, it's all because of something that happened millions of years ago to your ancestors. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but that's actually a faith system. None of those things can be proved to be true, but it is an edifice built up and say, I'm gonna believe this, I'm gonna live my life this way. It's essentially a religion. Well, but it went beyond that. What you see in, in the 20th century are rampant predictions that now that Darwin and Nietzsche and the new atheists have built up this answer, that religion will go away. All religions will go away. Christians will see the light and say, you know what, this makes more sense. It's at least based on some observation. Now, of course, they're gonna say the whole thing's based on science. Science, as you know, if there is a God in this system, it's science is the God. The truth is, not a great deal of this edifice can actually be demonstrated scientifically. There's a lot of faith in it. But it's a faith system that they thought would trounce everything else. They thought that the only people left in the world, whether you were Muslim or Jew or Hindu or whatever, who would still hold to some other religion, it's a very evangelistic religion, and would still hold to that would be people who were weak or stupid or superstitious or poor. I mean, it's very condescending in that those are the only people that'll hold to those other silly religions now that you've got this point of view. And in fact, it's very evangelistic in the sense that very ingrained in education systems. And so children get brought up with the answers to the questions of life being given by this particular religion. So in America, you tend to see Christianity, even though it appears to be the majority in our country, you actually see competing gods, if you will, competing religions around us. And not only that, you see a religion that is dedicated to pretty much wiping out other religions, that they won't exist once they see the light of these particular ideas. Well, it turns out that Nietzsche doesn't have the last word in this conversation. It's probably one of my favorite t-shirts that I've ever seen. The predictions that God would, is dead doesn't exist, it appears that God made it a little longer than Nietzsche did. 
In fact, I think God's answer to this is, can probably be summed up by Mr. Mark Twain. The reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. And so the prediction that atheism, this new Darwinism is what I'm gonna call it, this full-bodied system of life, would overshadow every other religion, basically hasn't come true. And so you see in the midst of this hostile world views, these religions clashing with each other, you're gonna see the hostility escalate because the predictions of the demise of Christianity, for example, or any other religion, haven't proved to be true. The predictions, in fact, uh, have proved to be wildly untrue. Let me show you an interesting quote. This is a really interesting book uh, just a few years ago, and the gentleman that wrote this worked for The Economist magazine. This is not a particularly religious book. It's just an analysis, very statistical analysis of religion in the world. And here's the really bad news for Darwinism in this environment. The very things that were supposed to destroy religion, democracy and markets, for example, global communication, so we couldn't just be ignorant people out here in the flyover zone, you know? And so we'd be awakened by having access to global information and we'd see the light. But the democracy and the markets, technology and reason are actually some of the factors making religion stronger. In fact, the Darwinists were wrong on a couple of counts. They thought that the type of religions that might persist would be the religions that were uh, more tolerant, that were more able to take scientific ideas in, the more liberal, what we would call the more liberal religions that kind of basically left the Bible and began to bring in these, quote, new ideas. In fact, just the opposite has proved to be true. The liberal religions, let's talk about Christianity, this is actually true in Islam also, by the way, but let's talk about Christianity in America. The liberal religions have been on a very steady and sharp decline, whereas the more conservative religions, meaning people whose ideas about the truth of the Bible have held to those traditional Christian views are actually growing. And in fact, that proves to be true worldwide not just in America. So the wrong kinds of religions are coming back from their point of view. What's even worse, the wrong kind of people are becoming more religious. Instead of the uneducated and the weak and the fearful people clinging to religion, you know, just for some kind of a life raft, it's actually the more educated, more upwardly mobile people in the world who are embracing religion, Christianity specifically, but religion in general. For example, if you look at China and the growth of Christianity there, it's not for the weak and the poor and the fearful people. You see young professionals who are upwardly mobile who are vastly embracing religion. So the predictions of the demise of religion were wrong, and they were not only wrong, they were wrong about the kinds of religion and the kinds of people. So what you have is you have this conflict in the world, and I'm talking specifically about Darwinism. Darwinism, which is a very evangelistic kind of a worldview and a system, coming head to head with some very failed 
prophecies, if you will, some very failed predictions. And what you see is that tends to, like two tectonic plates coming together and rubbing together, you get a lot of friction, and so you begin to see some tremors and maybe a volcano now and then. I tell you that because in all of these lessons, I want to apply these ideas to our world, and I want you to start reading the headlines and seeing the deeper fault lines that are behind the events that are happening. So let me pause there for just a second before we go on, because I want to talk to you about the nature of religion in the world and just give you a few statistics. But do we, uh, I think we have a question. Yeah, I have several questions about the chart. Do you want to wait? Yeah, well, let's, uh, let me just put the chart up and we will talk about it. So as we talk about religions growing in the world, I just wanted to give you, I thought this would be a useful breakdown for you. It's pretty recent data and it gives you an idea. There's a couple things I want to point out on this, but I'll just let you look at that. Christianity, Islam, what they call irreligion, which I want to redefine for you a little bit, Hinduism, Buddhism, and other religions. This is the makeup generally of the world and the various world religions. First thing I would observe before we take the question, remember I told you about Israel 3,400 years ago? They're a nation in the midst of a very religious world, but it's a kind of a hostile religious world. This is still an extremely religious world. Question? Well, a number of people want to know why it's not more current data. <laughs> well, it, why is it not more current data? Than yes. 2010. Well, because it's it, 2017. It has now. a direct correlation to the ticket price that you paid <laughs> to get in. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I mean, it's free. This is pretty much what you get. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is this is as, as accurate as I could reasonably find. I don't know that this data. And by the way, this data is not 100% accurate. I mean, as you can imagine, it's very hard to get this accurate, but uh, this is the most recent that I had found, that I trusted, let me put it that way, that I trusted. Okay, where did the Mormons fit in your picture? Mormons, uh, in, in my picture, they, uh, they have their own little special place, but <laughs> I, I don't mean that badly. I mean, within the realm of Christianity, there are different groups. And we may talk about that a little bit. I wanna spend more time talking about Islam, for example, and a couple of the other religions, because you probably know a little more about the different groups in Christianity than you do about the different groups in Islam and uh, the Hindu groups and how that interplays. So I won't talk as much about it. But for the chart, I think the question was, where do they fit on the chart? They would fit under Christianity for the purposes of the people compiling this. I think that's probably the question. Do you, um, do you think that Islam is growing quickly as far as like the last 10, 20 years, have we seen a, a fast growth in Islam? Islam is growing explosively in the world and there are several factors. And when we get to the section on Islam, cause I wanna, after this session, I'd really like to home in on a few, not every religion up there, but I wanna home in on some of the few that you're gonna see in the headlines. You're gonna see these things happening and I want you to see what's behind it. Islam obviously is a very big topic. We'll probably spend a whole session on that. And one of the things I want to show you is why is Islam growing? Because there are several ways you can grow to be a bigger piece of this pie. I mean, one way is conquest, another way is your birth rate. If you live in Europe right now, you are keenly aware 
uh, and, and really more developed countries. There's been some interesting studies about this that I'll show you here in the next week or two about uh, the birth rate in, in Europe and the birth rate amongst Islam. Or you can also, the third way, you can have converts. And so we'll talk about how and why Islam is growing. But yes, Islam is growing very quickly. By the way, so is Christianity, but not in America. And we'll talk about that a little bit too. Why isn't Judaism on your chart? Judaism is not big enough to be on this chart. And again, that's not anything negative. I mean, just in terms of number, Judaism is down there in other religions. There are not very many, I mean, just statistically speaking, when you're talking about the billions of people in the world, Judaism, I'm gonna talk about Judaism because obviously Judaism is a big factor in what's going on in the world, but as far as percentage, it's actually down there under other religions. There are not very many Jews, relatively speaking, in the world. Are atheists and agnostics included in the irreligion category? Atheists, agnostics, everybody that I'm going to call Darwinists are included in irreligion. You notice it's the third biggest religion. Now, I'm not telling you everybody in there is a Darwinist in the sense that they have a full-formed way of looking at life. But Darwinism is a non-God-oriented, non-traditional, full-bodied way of looking at life. It is in every respect a religion. It has tenets of faith. It has the idea of good and evil. It has a narrative story of who you are, where you came from, and what your purpose is. Spoiler alert, you don't have one. But basically, it has an answer to that. A lot of what's in that irreligion, people are living their lives with some set of beliefs about what this whole thing means. And you don't know very many people who go through life going, never thought about why I'm here, never thought about why I'm going anywhere, don't have any beliefs whatsoever. I know a couple of you are saying, oh yeah, you should see my coworkers. But seriously, <laughs> not many people live their life that way. Everybody has some sense of that. A lot of those in our culture are Darwinists and that's in that irreligion. That's actually a pretty big religion. And that's why I wanted to say Jesus, Muhammad, and Darwin, because a lot of what's happening is being influenced by that belief system. Good question. Can you explain the difference between an agnostic and an atheist? Yes, an agnostic and an atheist. An atheist says there is no God, doesn't exist. There are no Hindu bunch of gods, no Christian one God, no Islamic one God. In other words, atheists basically say there is no personal power greater than this material world. In other words, most atheists don't understand a spiritual realm beyond what you can see, feel, taste, hear. In other words, it's, a, it's called materialism, meaning everything that exists is in some sense material. And so that's atheism, denying the existence of a higher power might be a better way of saying it. And agnostic, there are, one of, there are two flavors of agnostics. You can have the vanilla or you can have you know, the uh, Neapolitan. So the vanilla agnostic says, I don't know. That's what agnostic means, no knowledge. I don't know if there's a higher power. I'm not telling you there's not. I can't prove that there's not. I mean, being an atheist takes as much faith as believing in a God because you cannot prove that there are no gods. I mean, it's not able to be scientifically proved that there is no higher power. It can't. It's beyond the realm of scientific capabilities to prove that. It's a faith system, it's a belief system. That's why I say Darwinism is religious in nature. Agnostic says, I don't know. 
Other flavor, a little stronger flavor of agnostic says, not only do I not know, but you cannot know. That is an answer that cannot be answered. The problem with agnosticism, I'm just gonna kind of deal with the agnostics and move on. Used to be one, so no hard feelings. Nobody actually lives like an agnostic. No one goes through their life saying, I do not know if there's a higher power because everyone believes in something they cannot prove to be true. Everyone, you trust you believe in things that are going to happen or the way the world works, you cannot prove them to be true. You are believing in something beyond what you can prove. So that's the difference between an atheist and an agnostic. Atheists have an organization, they have a religion. Agnostics, don't know, don't care. Um, how much has atheism grown in the US in the last 50 years? Yeah, atheism, we'll talk about that a little more. I'll try and get you some statistics on that. It's hard, it's kind of hard to measure, but atheism has grown considerably because they're very evangelistic. I mean, that Darwinist idea is evangelistic. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but that's what your children in public schools are being taught, are Darwinist principles to the answers of life. Very evangelical. It's also, as Dawkins said, very intellectually sustainable now. In other words, there's a full belief system used to be back in Darwin's time, you had a few hints here and there, but Darwin himself said this. He said, on the questions of where we came from, I cannot answer. I do not know. Atheists today will say, oh, we know. We're going to tell you a story, a creation story of how we got here. And so you tend to see that being aligned with science. In other words, atheism is science. Religion, ignorance. So good marketing campaign, good evangelism. It has grown quite a bit. Do you think that there are more Christians who believe Darwin's theory of evolution than Christians who believe the Genesis account of creation? Good question. I don't know that I have statistics on how many Christians believe the theory of evolution versus how many Christians believe in uh, a literal Genesis account of creation. I don't know that I have any statistics amongst Christians on that, but I will tell you that the number has grown hugely amongst Christians because of this pull and this evangelism, if you will, this pressure from the Darwinist uh, belief system on Christians to conform to something that's more scientific. Also, this whole generation grew up being taught that, that that's fact, that it's true. So yes, there are more and more people. Now, I wanna make a little bit of a distinction here. There are Christians who believe in theistic evolution. That is not what Darwin taught. It is not Darwinism. Darwinism's key tenet is nobody's designing this thing. There's no purpose. There's no plan. Everything that got you here is a bunch of random events that if you give it long enough, you know, you put a bunch of monkeys in a room and give them typewriters, you give them a few million years, they'll type out the works of Shakespeare. You know, in other words, you get a long, long time period. That's Darwinism. A theistic evolution would say, you know, it may be that we evolved from other forms of life, but if we did, it was at God's design. So I just wanna make, before I move on, I wanna make that little caveat. Many Christians who believe in quote, and I hate to use this broad term, evolution, actually believe not in a Darwinist idea. They believe in a theistic or God-designed way of doing it. So yes, more Christians probably do embrace certain elements of evolution, if not the full Darwinist agenda. Okay, if Darwinism is only 16.3%, then why is that what we teach in the schools? 
Well, that's a good question. Uh, part of, I mean, it's a long, there's a long answer to that. Let me just leave it in America for a second. I'll give you the really short answer and then move on. But basically, it has to do with the idea the very successful idea, and I'm not attributing motives here, I'm just gonna look at historically, but I'm gonna give you the really broad brush short version. Basically in America, we have moved to the place where we believe that freedom of religion basically means freedom from religion. And we have interpreted, our society over time has interpreted basically the state and religion to be a very very firm wall between those two. I mean, we could talk a lot about that, but I'm just, I'm not taking a point of view on this, I'm just telling you, this is the way it has come about. And so, when you take the state and religion and you basically build a really big brick wall, Darwinism, because it says this is a scientific theory, not scientific fact, but a scientific theory, has remained on the state side of the wall. And so what's taught in the schools is taught under the guise of science. Now, I'm not telling you there's no data for this, just like I'm not going to tell you there's no data for Christianity. Christianity has a lot of evidence for it. Evolution has some very interesting evidence for at least significant portions of that. But one of them has been characterized as science. One of them has been characterized as basically superstition. So in the short version, that's how that's become kind of the official religion of the state. I know that we don't say it that way, but I want you to start thinking about this Darwinist idea has every aspect of a religion, including a very uh, faith with a great fervor. But that's basically how we got where we are. Well, let me jump off on this and keep going because I want to show you a map of the world. Now, this isn't statistics. This is more geography. Very interesting things to be learned here. Not only do we have a very religious world, but look how it's distributed. I realize the color coding there you'll have to take a look at, but basically the purple is Christianity, green is Islam, you have kind of an orange Hinduism, yellow Buddhism, but notice the colors just where they're grouped. Not only is it a very religious world, it's a very polarized religious world. In other words, if you think about it, you have Christians and Muslims living right next door in vast swaths of land. Now, I'm not telling you there are no Muslims in the Christian areas or no Christians in the Muslim areas, but these are predominantly how the geography works out. Look over here at India and its neighbor, Pakistan. You see a way predominantly Hindu India. We'll talk about that when we talk about Hinduism. And its next door neighbor used to be the same nation is overwhelmingly Islamic. And so not only do you have a very religious world, you have a world that's very concentrated and very polarized. And so national differences and religious differences tend to line up. If uh, You'll see here in just a second, I'll show you a quote from the guys who wrote the book, God is Back, from the economists as they analyze it, their point of view, and it's well taken, I believe that they're correct about this, is not only is it a very religious world, not only is there some hostility amongst those religions, but look the way it lines up oftentimes with nations. So as you get into national conflict, you also have a confluence of religious conflict. So a lot of these nations are identified by religion as well as national identity. Second thing you notice, I don't know if you can see this as well, but in Europe in particular, France may be the leader in this, and, and, and by the way, it's not a good thing to be the leader in this. That one's actually hash marked. 
And the point is, it's got a lot of Christianity and a lot of Islam. And so there you have these two religions, not in national origins, but merged into a society. How's that working out in Europe? You see a lot of conflict there, don't you? You see very much inner turmoil as those worldviews collide. I'm not telling you that every time religions come together that they collide and violence ensues. That's not my point. In fact, I'd like to talk about our role in seeing this world done differently than it is. But if you look at the headlines just day to day and you look at this map, you're going to go, oh, there are some interesting things happening here. In fact... The greatest change in foreign policy, Micklethwaite and Wooldridge observe, in the recent past has been the revival of religion. Remember, statistics show basically religion isn't going away. It's getting bigger. Not is it just the revival of religion. In fact, it is impossible to understand international affairs today without taking faith into account. In other words, the revival of religion hasn't just been about the religious world. Religion won't stay home. It won't stay private because a worldview about your life has to spill over into all of your life. And so what you see is it spills over into international events. And that is one of the, the key things. And as we go through this, we're going to every week look at a in the news segment. And I like to take what we've talked about that week and start to look at some things happening in our world so that we're a little wiser about understanding what's happening. So that like Israel, serving God in the midst of the nations, and Israel had a mission to take God to the nations, that we too can be wise about how then can we engage this world in a hopefully more peaceful way, but certainly uh, a more effective way of understanding what's happening in the world. So that's basically brings us up to speed today. So we'll go back to Israel from time to time and draw some interesting perspectives from them. But I wanted to set the stage for you to know this. The world is not getting less religious. The world is getting more religious. And the world is seeing different kinds of religion. This Darwinist idea, it's a very secular, meaning that it's temporal focused. There's no afterlife in that religion. But there's no God, no personal God in any case in that religion. And yet it's a very evangelistic belief system. It has evidence that it relies upon just like other religions have evidence to support why I believe what I believe. But it's a different kind of player on the world stage. And so I'd like for us to dive into that and start to understand the world. And we're going to look at some of these religions individually and tie it to events that are going on. So I want to tackle one thing in the news. This is our in the news segment for this. I want to try to make a little bit of sense of some things that are happening in our country. And I know this is really controversial. And my point is not to be political. I actually want to make a different kind of point based on what we've been talking about. But everybody's familiar with uh, the, basically the hostility and the conflict in our country right now. And it's spreading in our country. It is, involves uh, just a deep divide in our country over racism. It's spilled over those banks, historically speaking, spilled over those banks, and, and you see the tearing down of statues. You see rallies and counter-rallies, and you begin to see a level of hostility and division and violence that makes you think this is not 
a political issue. I mean, it is on some basic sense a political issue, whether or not you're going to take statues down or not, whether or not you're going to, um, if you're Google, for example, you're going to have certain groups able to post on the web and other groups can't post on the web. And the idea of what does free speech look like uh, as hate speech, should it be privileged in the same way as other speech? Those are questions that any society is going to have to deal with. A free society like ours is going to wrestle with that more than China. China's had uh, anybody who does business in China, by the way, if you're Google or anybody else, you will censor the information that you provide to their citizens or you don't do business there. That's not our country's way of doing it. That's not our tradition. And so we're going to wrestle more with that. We've typically wrestled with these things in very political ways. We vote. We elect representatives, we pass laws. Sometimes they're laws that you and I would agree with and sometimes they're laws you and I don't, but we have processes. We have a system, a de democratic system in our country for resolving these kinds of problems. But what you see in the news now, we're not resolving those problems in those ways, are we? You're seeing it spill over the banks from political discourse and civic dealing with problems. This is beyond a difference of opinion about what should the marginal tax rate be and how much money should go to defense versus how much money goes to social welfare. Those are questions that we resolve in different ways than this. My point that I'd like to make is why are these things happening? We look at it and I think all of us feel very bewildered. We feel very sad about it and we have strong opinions about it and we should by the way. I mean, when we see people marching with just blatantly racist ideas, we as Christians know that's not biblical, period. We can't accept that. We can't buy into it. But what I think we all as Americans look at that and we're a little frightened to say, where did this violence come from? We understand the underlying issues are important, but how did we, how did we burst out of the banks of the ways that we have typically handled our disagreements with one another. And I'm gonna to suggest to you that some of the ideas underlying this are religious ideas. And religious meaning in the sense that I've defined religion. This isn't just a difference of opinion about whether a statue should be there or whether this group of people who are saying things that, that we consider vile should be saying those things or not. It's actually more than that. There are entire world views. There are religious, the way I'm defining religion, ways of looking at the world that are clashing here. This isn't a political difference of opinion. This is much deeper than that. And so when you look in the news and you see ISIS fighting against Christians and killing Christians in the Middle East, you think, oh, this is a religious issue there. And indeed it is, and we will talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But you don't tend to think of that here. And I want to suggest to you that we have even deeper divisions than we think. The bad news is, this is not just political. This is deeper than that. This is, in a sense, religious. It's deeply held world views. The good news is that that's the level that Jesus Christ came to speak about. Jesus Christ didn't particularly come to answer our question of what percent of our GDP should be going to defense spending and what percent should be going to social welfare. We may have opinions as Christians, but that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to heal these kinds of divides. 
That's the good news for us. The question and the challenge is, in a world with different and violently opposing religions, how then will we engage that? And I'll tell you next week. <laughs> As we dive into some individual religions and over the next few weeks, let's look at that. Let's answer that question as we see the world's religions, what are the things that unite and what are the things that divide? And we'll start looking at some of the specific beliefs and how they play together. Thank you guys for coming tonight.